hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin West. To order or download additional resources, please visit kevinwest.org. How many believe God's for you? Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Isn't it good that I have to be suspect of God? Come on, sometimes you get in a situation of life and life's just kind of you know, knocking you around or you're trying to knock it around and you don't know who's really winning. One of you are, but you just don't know sometimes who it is. And then you're, you're, you're wondering where God is. God, are you gonna answer this? You're gonna answer that? And God, do this, God, do that. And it seems like sometimes God's just not hearing. And when he is hearing, sometimes you're thinking, God, are you not moving fast enough for me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Lord, and then you got all these obstacles in the way, and if you're like me, you begin to look at the obstacles and begin to go, well, I'll help that obstacle get fixed, so God, since God's not working fast enough, I'll come over here and try to work this out myself. I might be the only one in here that does that, but I doubt it. So what happens is you got all these situations that are going on and God's not moving, and then when there's a, when, between the time that you initiate or you're moving forward and the time you see it come to pass, in your life or see it fulfilled in your life, there's that moment in time where you feel like the jury's out. God, are you going to do this? And you take that introspective look at yourself, you start peeling off layers of your own life and before you know it, you're peeling off every layer that you know and then you don't know and you're introspectively looking so much that you're thinking, God, what am I doing? You know, what, and where are you? And then finally, God comes through and it's not the time that you thought it would be but after he answers the prayer, you're thankful that he did it in his time and not your time because there's things he's working on your behalf that you're not even aware of in that middle of that process. So you look back on it and you go, God, I wouldn't want to do that again, but I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in this world, right? And God's working and sometimes God takes you the long way. You know that journey from, the, the, from Genesis all the way or from Exodus when they were coming from the, uh, the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, from Egypt to the promised land was only 11 day journey. And the Lord said, it was God that said, we'll take them the long way because they'll run up against resistance and want to run back to Egypt. Sometimes we'll go and we'll go and we'll go, but the first flight, fight we get into, or fly, we want to fight and we run back to the way it used to be. And you can't run back because the Bible says a dog returns back to its vomit. I'm talking about in this moment in time and season that we're in as, 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 as a body of Christ. And when I say body of Christ, I'm not talking about just ECH. I'm talking about the body of Christ. The body of Christ is in a season right now that it's gonna take some tenacity, some fortitude, and some fight. And we're going to have to press through, press in, and press on with some things and for some things in your life and contend for some things that you probably have probably contended for in the past and it never happened. But for whatever reason, there is a moment in time that God has picked, for whatever reason, and I don't know why he did it, but he's picked it. I'm seeing too many people get breakthrough and change happen instantaneously that they have been waiting on for years and years and years. And suddenly, something changes. I could name you people after people that I know that do not even come to the church that I'm in relationship with that I talk to all across the country, people that I have from friends with that they have been praying for years. One was 10 years. They've been praying and praying and praying and God never answered the prayer to the point they quit, or quit asking God, to, uh, they're even praying to God about that particular thing. 
And all of a sudden, it just comes up. And when it comes up, they had to move fast. They didn't have time to go back and say, God, let me reconsider this prayer request. They didn't have time because why? Things start accelerating and things are moving at a pace like I've not seen in my lifetime. I've seen, I'm, I'm telling you, what used to be rebuilding and restoring, and re, I'm seeing God do things. People are coming right out of the drug world and right onto the pulpit. And I'm not talking about just this pulpit, I'm talking about the pulpit of life. Everybody used to be, everybody wanted up here. Now, nobody, nobody wants up here. Everybody wants out there, which is where it should be. You should be making a platform or a pulpit of, in your life wherever you go. Now, I'm gonna show you a story in the Bible. This is in the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I'm gonna only read a pull from, an extract from Luke chapter eight about a story that I've preached on before. You know it very well. It's a very common story if you've been in church any length of time. But I wanna pull out a few things that I believe that are gonna help us today. Now, Jesus has just come through the city of Caesarea. He's come through Bethany. He's coming through all these different areas, Jerusalem. He's coming through town, and he's turning the entire community and society upside down. I mean, he's having encounters with people. People are coming to him, and there there seems to be this division that we are really aware of in Luke. There's a division of, there's religious people. When I say religious people, I'm talking about people that were protectors and guards of the old way the religion worked. They had hearts of gold. They, were, they, were, they weren't bad people. They were just really staunched in tradition and really felt like they were protectors of what God was doing. They were the, the guard posts, if you will, of what God was doing. They knew what the, the law said. They knew how it was supposed to go. And they weren't wrong in what their approach was, but yet somehow Jesus shows up on the scene and because they didn't know the, the application and the way he came, they get all thrown back. So what I'm saying is, on the, on the, on the, in the community, in the society, there's a group of people that it's always been, we're doing it this way because it's always been done that way, and we don't wanna do it any other way, because if we do it any other way, it won't get us the results that we're looking for, and the result, results we're looking for is, I remember back 15, 20 years ago when God moved the way we did it this way. I'm a firm believer that you can pick up a hymn book and God can move. I believe that. I believe you can pick up a sheet of paper or a big screen and God can move. I believe it's a posture of the heart, not just a system or a, a structure, right? So, uh, so, so God is redeeming hymn books. In fact, what's the date? 29th? The 30th, September, or October, September 30th? September 30th on a Sunday night, we're having a saint's night. We're pulling all the hymns out. And some of you will know the page numbers without even looking at them, right? Why? God's redeeming, redeeming steeples. He's redeeming pews. He's redeeming hymn books. He's, he's redeeming crosses. We, we, we've worked really hard over the last 20 years to build churches that don't look like churches. We worked really hard, and we've done a good job. But I'm telling you, it's about time for a little bit of of a Mayberry church. I'm about ready to build a little white church right across the street with a steeple that only holds about 50 people and call it a chapel. Just to say we can, so when everybody knows in town, they come in there and go and pray, kneel at an old-fashioned altar, and give their heart back to the Lord. Now, that's touched somebody's heart, didn't it? Right? Other people went... Oh my God, you, you, young, you young progressives. 
oh gosh, we don't need that. Well, that's done away. No, no, no. God will use anything and everything. He reminded, the day I got my conversion, and I mean my conversion, my, my moment in time when I just had my encounter with God, I was, rem for six weeks before I finally got my hard head broken into by the Lord, for six weeks I was running into Sunday school teachers, and I'm, I was 30 years old and running into Sunday school teachers that I had when I was five and six years old at church. I'm running into them at Walmart or at the mall, and I see them and I'm going, what in the world is this? And it was just enough to jar something inside of me to make me think. I wasn't sure what I was thinking, but it just, it just turned me just a little bit until that one night, it wasn't any Sunday school teacher around, and I had my encounter with the Lord, and I said, God, if you'll take this mess, I'll give it to you. And we made a pretty good trade. He took it, and I got him, right? So, so all those little things that are happening all across the country, the Lord is redeeming all of that stuff for his purpose, for his plan. So don't be one of those people that are the Debbie Downers of, gosh, he just don't you. No, on th September 30th, I want you to bring every senior citizen, <laughs> every young person that's got respect for the way things are, you bring them and we're going to sing hymns, psalms, and spiritual psalms. We're gonna sing them. Is that all right? And I, it's gonna touch, some of you just need the good old fashioned, how great thou art. We don't, and it doesn't have to always be with the next best electronic piece, right? But it's okay if we have it, right? We don't, the devil isn't in fog machines. God authored fog machines, right? But when, the, when church starts worshiping fog machines, the devil's in it. So God's gonna redeem all these things back together. So there's coming an appreciation for the sacred things of God. There's, I'm telling you right now, it's, it's coming. You're going, your, your kids are gonna, God's put it in the hearts of your kids. Look at Collie up here. I mean, the kid's three years old and he's not a prop. Well, he's not a prop for kids' church or he's not a prop for early childhood. He's not a prop for, oh, isn't that how cute that is, pat him on the head. No, if you play the right songs, he'll stomp his feet and raise his hands. He will. He, and last week he was singing, Jesus loves me. You, you see what I'm talking about? He, God is redeeming all of this stuff. So open your hearts wide open to what he's doing because if you're one of those groups over here that the religious group, you'll miss what God is doing currently, right? Then there's the disciples that are searching after God, but they're confused because what they see, they can't figure out. That's us. We're trying to label this thing. We're trying to figure this out. God, our hearts are pure. Our hearts are innocent. We're going towards him with all we have. God, what are you doing? We want more of you. We want more of you. We love you. We love you. We're praying. We're seeking God. We want great things for our family, great things for our church, great things for our community. God, we're doing great things. Things are happening. And then he throws a curveball at you or stumps you with a question and something doesn't figure out quite like your thought, theology. And when it doesn't fit our theology, we're not gonna quit. You've come too far to quit, but you can't explain it. That leaves us to the third group of people, the sinners, the people that are aimlessly walking through the community, your family members, my family members, our friends, people that we love that are just aimlessly, they don't want anything to do with this group because many of them have been stung by this religious group Right? Over here, they, they tried the discipleship process and they were still in relationship with us, but because we couldn't give them some answers that they were looking for, 
Sometimes we didn't get it. We didn't put up. We had to shut up. They got weary in doing, trying to do well, and they drifted. And now they're out here going, I love God and believe they're even saved. I believe some of them are saved. They're not connected to the body. They're not connected to the church. They're not connected because they got burnt over here. It was too hard here trying to figure it out and just lasting. And over here, they're trying to aimlessly try to figure out, God, give me that alternative that's out here. What, what, what can I do? So they're just gonna live the best they have. Good moral people trying to do right things, right? And then they get bound by stuff of the world. They get on drugs, they get on alcohol, they get on, on, on in pornography, they get on things, sins of the flesh, and then circumstances, they go through divorces, they go through things, the kids' separation, all this kind of stuff. And when those things start happening, they're over here going, God, they really want God, but they can't take the chance of coming back over here and getting bound up in a religious system and a structure that's gonna choke the life out of them because they're more free over there than they are over here, even though they're bound. They're not gonna trade the bondage of the world for the bondage of a religious system because neither one of them are free. One looks free, but it's not free. It has the appearance of liberty, but it's not liberty. You with me? So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Who was waiting on the multitude? The church spends thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on outreach programs. Thousands, television, radio, media ministry, all kinds of things that we do. And the only, Jesus, look, when Jesus returned, the multitude welcomed him. They were already waiting on him. You know what we can do? Here's what we need to do. I, I've got a three-point plan that we're gonna put it in a book and we're gonna sell it all across the country. We're gonna make a lot of money on it. Point number one, it's gonna be for church growth seminars. It's, I'm telling you, it's, it's the best. Point number one, get Jesus to return. In the midst. I'm kidding on the three-point thing and selling it across the country. For all of you who are trying to figure it out, all right? <laughs> that was a little bit of sarcasm and dry humor. <laughs> Somebody started writing it down, going, point number one, Jesus returned. I saw you. I saw you. Somebody nudged your neighbor and said, he said, Jesus returned. That's it. That's it. We got it. Now let's go back to our church and figure this thing out. We got, I'll tell my pastor. Jesus, get Jesus in return. No, you got to get Jesus in your midst. And when Jesus is in the midst, guess what? The multitudes will welcome him. And they were waiting for him. Guess who's waiting for the... For, drive down the west end of Huntington. All right? Drive down, I, drive down any city in our region. Drive down, and they look aimless walking the, through the streets. But all they're really doing is waiting on him. They're waiting on him. And, and, the, and the religious system can't produce it. The disciples like us, are we're, we're on the threshold. Don't think we're not. We're getting close. We are right there on the edge of this thing, of, of, of a major explosion of, of really releasing and revealing Christ to these people. It's right on, we're right on the threshold. I think we're here. I do. I really do with all my heart. But they're wandering away. And we, what we do is we drive by them and go and shake our head. My God. I wish they would start speaking what's in their spirit instead of just asking you for a dollar. Because what they would really say, instead of coming up to you asking for something tangible, 
begging for alms outside the prayer, the gate called Beautiful. All right, that's the same situation we are right now, and it's in John. They ask, and John and Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I'm gonna give you. What happens when they start asking for what they want? What if they come up to you and you're walking in Speedway or Sheets and you're shaking your head when you go in Sheets because you gotta go past all of that? I'm reading somebody's mail. I can't be the only one, all right? And you're riding, you're driving through these places and you're going, oh my God, here they are, here they are. And, you, and, and many of us have been abused by it. Many of us have been used. Many of us feel like you're just overtaken by it. But I'm talking about an entire population of people. What if they came up to you and said, hey, do you know where I can find Jesus? I really don't need a sandwich right now, but I do need Jesus. See, because I don't know that we have the discernment today to look at them and say, I don't have that, but I do have this. What we do have, it's gonna reverse because the population that's needing him and screaming for him will be louder than the people in the church if we don't get on stick. They're gonna start coming out. Can I get, where's, do you, do you know where I could find Jesus? Do you have to put him in your car and take him to him? I, I hope the pastor's in. I got Pastor Kevin on speed dial. I promise you I could text him right now. He'll be right down here to Speedway. And you know the problem is, I probably would. That's my fault. That's the truth. I had this big discussion with somebody yesterday. They said, why are you trying to help everybody that don't want to help themselves? I said, hey, I gotta, I'm having a disconnect problem. Your phone's not working real well right now. I got to go. <laughs> but what are we going to do? Their multitudes are waiting on him. Now, there's three groups of people. You're going to see him. Let's go to the next one. And behold, here comes a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had only, for his own, he had only one daughter, and his daughter was 12 years old. She was dying. Well, look at this. But as Jesus went, the multitudes thronged him. Now, you gotta see that word. That's not coincidence. Now. You hear me? It's now. That, sometimes we look at that and think that it was back then as a reference point for back then. When you see now a woman, that woman is the church. It's now. It's right this minute. It is not in, in next October. It's not last October. It is right now, September 2. It's now, in your life right now. Now, a woman having a flow of blood, an issue of blood for 12 years, it's ironic that she was, he had a, Jairus had a daughter that was 12 years old. Now we have a, a church, a woman, that's got an issue of blood for 12, years old, for 12 years. Look at this. She had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any of them. Came from behind. See, I'm telling you guys, it's not gonna be like you think it's gonna be, but it's gonna be better. You're gonna get blindsided by the goodness of God. Things are gonna start happening. You're not, you're not gonna be able to explain them. The ruler of the synagogue did the right thing. Please come to my house, because this is what we know. What we know is if you come to my house, you lay hands on her, you speak and pray the word over her, she's gonna get healed because you're Jesus, she's dying, and we need you because this is the way we've always done it. This is what it looks like. 
This is the format. This is the, t- the, the prototype. This is the template. You come here, pray for her. She gets healed. Press through the crowd to get to her, Jesus. Jesus this is a ruler of the synagogue. And while he was on his way to do what's protocol, something now popped up behind him. She sneaks behind him, comes up from behind him and touched the border at the bottom. That means the woman that pressed through the crowd. There was throngs of people everywhere. They were aimlessly wondering, where do we go? We're only going, the only reason they were walking and following him was because he was Jesus in the middle. Jesus was right in their midst. Do you not not think Jesus is in our midst today? Yes, he's in our midst today. And while we're doing protocol, which is nothing wrong with protocol, nothing wrong with doing order and tradition and the things that we do, there's nothing wrong with that. Do it to the best of your ability. If you don't know what to do, do what you know. But don't you dare get frustrated at some wild, wacky person that says, I am not taking no for an answer. Somebody in your family you've been witness to for years. I'm telling you, it might be some of your children that's wayward. Nieces and nephews and they've gone wayward and you've tried everything. You, you spent all you had on that issue. They broke you. Broke you even beyond broke. You don't even know how to dig out of digging out because you can't dig out. You've lost count of how much it's cost you. For a while you were trying to keep track, but you can't even keep track anymore because the issue of the blood, the issue of life is so overwhelming, you can't even write it down fast enough you're bleeding and hemorrhaging so bad. Am I talking to anybody? You got somebody, it's just, it's just every time you turn around, you're going, God help me. Help me, I don't know what else to do. It's just, and, 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 and it's, it's always somebody that's endearing to your heart, it's somebody that you're close to, that you love, it's your family, it's your kids. It's some, and you wrestle in your heart going, I gotta cut them off, I can't do this anymore because both of us are gonna die in hemorrhage. That woman was in that place. She had gone to every doctor, every physician. She had gone everywhere, she had spent all she had. She had health insurance or no health insurance, I don't know what she had. I don't know what her deductible was, but obviously she didn't, she had already put past it. And nothing was working, nothing. And she kept trying, for 12 years she tried the protocol that was right. There was nothing wrong with what she was doing by tech. I'm sure she traveled to doctors, but here's the problem with the one with the issue of blood. The book of Leviticus tells us because she had that issue and because the religious system said a certain type of protocol had to be in place, she was not able to be inside the camp. So she had to be outside because of the issue of blood and she couldn't fellowship with the people. That means even her own family couldn't get close to her. So she's outside of the camp. Have you ever been isolated? You've gone to the church. You've gone to family members. You've gone to the bank. You've gone to your employer. You've gone to people you know that could help you and have influence. They're all around you. And you've gone to them and nobody can provide your solution? Has anybody been there? Has anybody been to that place where you've exhausted everything and you've got just one glimmer of hope and you, you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, oh, 
That was an epiphany from God. God told me to go talk to that person. Then you go talk to that person and it didn't come through like you thought it was gonna come through. And then you go back and say, well, God, I must have missed you. And then you start losing faith in what's really happening, right? You feel alone, isolated, outside the camp. You come to church every Sunday. You worship God every Sunday. You give God all you have every day of the week and you're acknowledging him and all that. But something on the inside of you says, I'm alone. I'm isolated. I feel like I'm losing my mind. Am I talking to anybody in here? And you think, God, turn this thing around. Do something. So you've tried all the protocol. This woman tried all the protocol. She was ready to break protocol, break the normal order, because she was already outside the camp anyway. And when she heard that Jesus was in the midst of those people, it didn't matter to her what people thought, who was around, right? Sometimes you gotta get so tenacious that you're like a dog on a bone and you're not taking no for an answer. See, I don't want this to sound sacrilegious, but it could, so that's a disclaimer. But some of you need to know how to talk to God. Father, if it be thy will, I'm hemorrhaging and I have for 12 years, if it be thy will, I've lost everything I can and have, and I don't matter of exhaustion, Father, but I, if you, if you see to it, your honor, Father, sir, no, no, I'm not, I'm being, I'm not being sarcastic, I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes we approach him like he is the, the bank and you're the applicant rather than he's the father and you're his son. You, you, if, if, Caden, if Caden wants something that on the computer or a game he's playing or he's wanting a new bat or some sort of piece of equipment, I don't get one of these things. Father, can I have just five minutes of your time? When you have just a moment, I would like for you to come in and I would like to discuss with you according to thy will. It ain't happening. You know what comes in here? Hey, I found a bat. I found a ball. I found this glove. I found this helmet. I found, I got to need a new mouthpiece. And I said, yeah, you've been eating that one alive for the last two weeks. Yeah, but I need a new one. No, and you know what he expects? He expects me to do it. And I have to rearrange these expectations and say, this is not how this works. I don't work for you. You work for me. And then I walk away realizing I just lied to the kid. Because <laughs> that's not how it works. Right? Why? So I'm telling you, when Jesus went into the garden to pray, he went up and he started praying to the Father. He said, Father, can this cut pass any other way? Uh, then he looks at him on the cross and says, why have you forsaken me? That's Jesus talking to the Father. Some of you need to get raw with God. Some of you need to get so raw with God and say, he already knows what you're thinking. You might as well just go ahead and tell him. I mean, it was a time, and I told this story before, and I'll tell it again. There was a guy that I was in business with way back in the day, and it was like 30 years, 20 years, some years ago. And when I got saved, I got radically saved. He was already saved, I think, all right? So 
we parted ways when I got saved, and I'd run into him, and, and man, he kind of turned on me. Not kind of, he just turned on me. I'm trying to make it polite, but he turned on me. And when he turned on me, it was bad. And I got to the point where I couldn't stand him. I wholly disliked him. <laughs> I couldn't stand him, all right? And I, and, and I talked to good, good people over here in the protocol, the rulers of the synagogue. I'd talk to them, they were good people, godly men, and I'd say, God, you know, I, I, just, I hate the guy. I just don't like him. And they'd say, you gotta bless those that curse you, and you have to, you know, speak well of those that speak against you. And, and well, that, I come from, <laughs> that didn't work that way, all right? I knew growing up that was the way it's supposed to be, but that was one reason I wasn't in the church, because I didn't like that protocol. So I'd go into my prayer closet by myself, and I'd say, Father, bless him. And I didn't mean that. Man, I did not care if that man was blessed. I didn't care. Do you hear, you hear what I'm saying? I mean, I did not care. I did not like him. I hated him. And, and, and it went on for weeks, and I wasn't, nothing was changing in my heart. But everybody kept telling me, you keep saying it long enough, and it'll change. And I thought to myself, Jesus, well, nothing's changing. Nothing. There's nothing happening here. And my dislike was growing. Right? I'd hear his name and I'd just, oh, just, y'all don't have those people? Yes, you do. <laughs> Religious people. So anyway, so I'm praying, I pray, God, I just bless him. And I'd go to, there was a, one man in particular I'd go to, he's a good godly man, he's a pastor today, good godly man, and he would sit me down, and he would, you're just, you'll mature and grow out of that. And I'd get in my car after a meeting with him, and I'd say, I don't want to mature after that. If that's what maturity is, I don't want to do that. So I'd go talk to people that weren't saved. And I'd say, I don't like the guy. I just talked to one of the ministers down here, and he said, I gotta bless those that curse you and all that. And the guy would say to me, I never forget this. The guy looked at me and said, punch him in the mouth. <laughs> punch him. And when you hit him, hit him hard. He said, you, and the guy told me, he said, I'll never forget. He said, you'll feel a lot better. <laughs> he said, how you feel now? No, I'm just telling you the story because, listen, these guys here, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this all around. I'm not on a rabbit trail because these are the people that are walking in speedway and sheets. These are the people here that are lost and all they're looking for is really Jesus, a real Jesus, right? But I have to go over here and I get the ruler of the synagogue and he's telling me all the right things to do. Nothing wrong with that. So finally one day, after vacillating between these two, I get in my prayer closet. And when I got in my prayer closet this time, I just said to him, <laughs> I said to the Lord, I said, bless them, bless him, Lord. Bless his family. Bless his kids. Bless him. Just bless him, Lord. And I, well, I felt like I was just flying around in some cloud, me and Gabriel and Michael just floating around. Bless him, Lord. Just bless him. Something rose up inside of me and says, you don't mean that. Tell me, how you, tell me what I already know. Something's quickened inside of my heart. I said, I'm tired of this. I hate him. God, I hate him. And I'm a little scared right now saying that to you, God. This is true. But I'm saying it anyway. And I even threw this up to him. I said, Jesus said, why have you forsaken him? <laughs> so why? I hate him. I hate him. I do God. It's, it's the, and I was expecting something just to come off of me and lift. 
So I sit there for about 15 minutes and I kept repeating it over and over again. I told God everything that I hated about the guy, everything. And stuff was still coming to me. So it was a cleansing moment. So I just told him, hey, you know. So I went through this, and I really expected something to lift off my shoulders. Nothing lifted up my shoulders, nothing. So I'm sitting there, and now I'm realizing I gotta get up. I'm sitting in the bathroom floor with the exhaust fan on, lights out, and nothing's happening, and I've just, I've just purged myself to God. Now, if he's mad, I got a problem. So I'm, now I got two voices in my ear. The ruler of the synagogue, the minister, which is a good man of God, still today is a great man of God. And then I got my old buddy over here that don't care about anything but just knocking somebody out. And both of these are in my, going through my mind. I thought, oh my God, what am I gonna do? So I get up out of there and I walk out, and all this is a true story over the next couple of days. Man, I drove with both hands on the steering wheel. I was, my eyes were wide open. I thought so I could get in an accident, something could happen because I didn't know if God was mad, frustrated, still loved me, I didn't know. And I'd say, God, and I'd repent, I even repented for saying it. I said, God, I, I know I, I couldn't tell him I didn't mean it because he already knew I did. I said, God, I repent for being in that position. I, God, I'm sorry, and, and man, I got nothing. About a week later, I walk in Walmart, and I hadn't seen the guy forever. I'm not thinking about him, nothing. I walk around the corner, and he runs right into my face. And there he is. And I went, which one am I gonna listen to? <laughs> no, that didn't happen. What happened was, it happened so quickly, honestly. I saw him, what I did, I saw his face. He was startled, I was startled. Because I'd already played it in my head for the last couple of months when I saw him. Because I knew God had forgiven me. I'd believe in mercy, all right? And I went, I, I, so when I, but I saw his face, his countenance, and when I saw him, oh my gosh, my heart melted towards him. I got a compassion that I never had for him. And I said, he, and it startled him, and I said, how you doing? And I'm thinking to myself, and something was happening inside of me. He, 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 it was a real awkward exchange, it lasted only about 30 seconds, it seemed like it lasted 20 minutes. I go on, I don't know what I was even in there for, but I got out of my car, and I sit in my car, and I started crying. I mean, bawling my eyes out, weeping, crying hard, because I said, God, what, a, what just happened? And the Lord said, you cleanse yourself. When you came in front of me, and you got raw, and you got empty, and you and me got on the same page, I already knew what you were feeling. When you get to see me, I'm not the garbage dump but I am reality. I'm not somebody you can just come and vomit on, but I am somebody you can talk real to. And all of a sudden, he became reality to me, rather than a concept, an abstract personality, somebody that was way out here, he became authentic and real and tangible. And, I, and all of a sudden, things started changing, and the whole thing lifted off my shoulders. And I'm telling you, I don't have any animosity at all towards that guy to this day. He has gone through a lot of problems over the last 20 years. And I pray for him, and I pray for their family. It's been a, a mess, but I don't have that bitterness. And here's what people tell you, though. They'll say, if you don't get rid of that bitterness now, you ain't gonna get, God ain't going to answer your prayer. You don't even know how to get rid of bitterness. Take it to the altar and leave it. I did that. I thought I left it. 
Problem was, it was in my heart, it wasn't in my pocket. So when my heart went back to my chair, it went with me. I didn't know how to get rid of it. So the woman says, let's go back to 42. 43. Now a woman had a flow of issue of blood for 12 years and she spent all she had. She's hemorrhaging, she, she needed to be healed. Verse 44 says, she came from behind him and touched the border of his garment down to the low place and immediately her issue of blood stopped. And Jesus said, look at this. And this is Jesus talking. As if Jesus didn't know. Who touched me? Who touched me? Who pressed through all the religious system, all of what people think, all of your insecurities, all your insufficiencies, all of, all of those inadequacies that we carry around and public opinion and people's opinion and what, all these past hurts, past pain. What, who touched me? She pressed through every bit of that, that stuff, that, that garbage. When you really want the real Christ, the one that's not a picture on a, on a wall, the one that's not just a, a story character in the Bible, when you really want that one, you begin to look past all of that and you begin to press in to the raw reality of relationship with him. When you get into the raw relationship reality of him, he will show you of himself things that you have desired to know that you couldn't see in religion. You couldn't see in form and protocol. It's reality, and here's the boldness. Once you're willing to do it, you gotta do it. It wasn't good enough for her to go over here and go, I got a pep talk, I'm ready to go. Let's go do this, let's go. And go back over here and say, if he comes back through this, if he comes back through tomorrow, tomorrow I'm gonna do it. If he comes back through tomorrow. What, what is it in your life that you have to make a decision now? I thought about, you know, I really am I'm vacillating on whether I apply for that job or don't apply for that job. Now, I sell the house or I don't sell the house. I'm waiting, I'm really waiting on God to do something. To, now, what are you waiting on God for? God's waiting on you. Mess it up. He'll put it back together. Make a wrong turn, he'll get you the right way. No more idle, non-moving parts in the body. It's time to become active. And active is more than just greeting and ushering at a church. Active is sitting around taking inventory at your house, walking in your front door, looking in your house and going, what needs to change? What kind of order do I need to put in this house? What, needs to, what, what decisions do I make? God, we've already had this conversation. I know what needs to happen, I need to do it. I need, that refrigerator needs to be thrown out because we need a new one. But before you can get a new one, you might need to clean out what's already in the old one. It's time. We are not gonna idly sit behind this, this season of life 
and get our reality star check by watching the news. Who touched me, he said. Who? And you know what Peter says? Peter, the knowledgeable one. How are we supposed to know who touched you when all these people are around? Wouldn't you like to be in that position? Jesus was walking through the throngs of people to go heal a man's daughter of 12 years. 12 is perfect government. 12 apostles, 12 tribes of Judah, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 tribes of, or 12 tribes of Israel, 12 uh, apostles, make 24 elders, all that comes together, you got 12, 12 is a government. That's why there was 12, when Judas passed away, he got part of the ministry, 12 comes back. Why? Peter looks and says, we gotta have another one, we, gotta, we only have 11, we gotta have 12. Why? 12, 12 is government. It's perfect. That story is perfect in its government, its authority, and it's for you today. My question to you today, my challenge to you today, I'm inviting you to move over from this character of Jesus to the reality of Jesus. I'm asking you to inventory all your religious protocol that you've always known. Honor it, it's not wrong. But I'm asking you, how bad do you want it? I'm not telling you the harder you go, the harder it works. I'm not talking about what works. I'm talking about him. This is confession. If you drive by my house today, my grass is probably up to my knees. I'm gonna buy a goat. <laughs> I've had a couple people to say, hey, I'm gonna come over and take care of that. I'm gonna cut that grass. I'm gonna do that. I'll, I'll do it. And, they, and, there they go. and rain happens and all that. And, 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 and I drive by my driveway and I look over there and I go, God, that needs cut. Now, this is a small thing, it's, but it's monumental because it's the little things that make the big things. I came by there yesterday and it had poured rain all day. We had a football game and, and we're getting, you wait till the football team you see at the end of this year. We're gonna be incredible. I'm just telling you that for public profession. We are. You watch. And we'll bring them all over here and we're gonna stand them all up here and you guys are gonna clap for them and buy them stuff. Because they're working, they're gonna work hard. I drove my driveway and it was pouring the rain all day and I go up the driveway and I look and I go, man. A little agitation came up in me and went, man, the guy told me he was gonna be here Thursday. The guy told me he was gonna be here Friday. The other guy told me if he don't come on Thursday, he'll come on Friday. And I'm getting agitated with this guy. And I'm not joking, I pull in my driveway and the Spirit of the Lord comes on me and says, You've been here Thursday and Friday. Cut the grass. So I said, well, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have a lawnmower. Well, we got a lawnmower sitting right out there. 
I'm going to go get that lawnmower after church and cut that grass. Now, why am I telling you that? It has nothing to do with cutting grass. It's do the little things. It's do the things you can do now. And when you do it now, issues of blood dry up. It's pressing into the things that are in your control, in your hands, that God has already put in your hands to make right decisions. And when you make the right decisions, the big ones kind of start falling in place. You can't heal yourself. You can't heal your back. You can't, you can't stop the issue of blood. You can't do any of that. But you know what she could do? Protocol told her to stay outside the camp. Spiritually and physically, she was bleeding and hemorrhaging from the inside out. She couldn't stop that and she couldn't go against protocol. But you know what she did do? She got lower than protocol, and she was determined to do what she could, press through the crowd, crawl through the crowd, to the point she got Jesus' attention and said, power just went out of me, virtue just went out of me, who touched me? Peter was bum-fuzzled, he didn't know what to do. I don't know, how are we supposed to know who to? The church should be in a position to know where the power of God is flowing. That is our responsibility to know where he's flowing. He should be flowing, yeah, Jesus is here, power's flowing. But until we worry about the little things that we can't do and start focusing so much on the big things we do, we can't touch and focus on the things we can do, that's the things that are in our control and in our fingertips right now. So I'm gonna challenge you, fall in focus. You got three months and Thanksgiving's gonna be here. What are those things in your life? What are they? that are worth pressing past the religious system, pressing past the obstacles, and do the little things right, and let God do the big things. Will you stand with me? I hope this has helped you today. It's helped me, because I gotta cut grass in about a half hour. Hey, I, I felt this in my heart. I don't know who this is for over on my left side. But somebody over there procrastinate. I'm, I'm not even gonna look at you, but I'm talking to you. I'll talk to you guys, but I'm really talking to them, okay? Somebody over there. And I got one for this side too, but I'm gonna talk, I'll talk to you. Procrastination is not your friend. Don't put it off. Take it head on, and you're afraid of the mess that it might create. I'm telling you to do it anyway. Do it anyway. And I'm gonna talk directly to you. Wringing your hands doesn't change a thing. Go after it. Put it. You've lost a lot, put it back together. I don't know who you are. You're so worried because you've gone through a bad situation in your past. I'm telling you to go to your future. Hold your head up high. Don't be timid, don't be afraid, don't be concerned what people think. Hold your head up high and start making those decisions that God has already placed for you to make. They're already in your heart, now do them. Now, 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 now. Not tomorrow, now. Somebody needs to cut grass today. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless my brothers and my sisters and I say, God, turn our world upside down and let the virtual reality of Jesus become a real reality in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you all.